listening to the Retro Guardians. Okay, now what? Buckle up. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? <laughs> Groovy. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Hasta la vista, baby. Retro Guardians. And hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Retro Guardians. You're speaking or listening to Jay and Ben. And welcome back, Ben. You're back in the land down under after your big trip to the US and, um, and visiting very jet lagged. Very jet lagged and visiting Terrificon twenty twenty two in Connecticut. Yeah, um, Unicastle, Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun. Awesome. So I think with this episode, um, look, I'll hand the reins over to you and you can tell our listeners all about the wonderful world of Terrificon, what you saw, who you spoke to. And I think there were also some uh, special episodes put up online, so they're there now for everybody's listening pleasure. Ben did a few interviews with some uh, big names in the comic industry. Um, I got those on the last day, which was actually uh, perfect timing because... Uh, Sunday, for whatever reason, people left early, so there was not a lot of people around, so it was easy to do it then, and I'm glad I'm gra- glad I did, actually, because yeah. I really enjoyed talking to these three gentlemen. Yeah, they were great. So if you haven't already listened to those, um, tune in to the previous podcast episodes, um, and also there was an intro episode that Ben did live from over the US there that gave us a bit of background on Terrificon, so maybe they're a good starting point. But um, Ben, over to you. I'll let you tell our listeners all about it. So the... Con in general is a three-day con from Friday to Sunday, with um, Saturday being the longest, and Saturday was the most busiest. Now, on the Friday, it was still very jet-lagged. It's probably the worst jet, one of the worst jet-lags I ever had, so I didn't do too much on Friday. I just sort of walked around the con, got a feel for it, had a talk to a lot of people. A lot of people within the, within the Trificon staff remember me still, so they all come up and talk to me, which was lovely. And just sort of took my time in that, and yeah... And uh, the next day was way better. I made sure I had some sleep before I got to the con and all that. This time I had very little on the Friday. But um, I can't not emphasize how much I enjoyed this. I can't. This is probably the best one I've ever been to. And it was the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man. I think I told you this before, Jay, and that was one of the main reasons I went. So there were a lot of artists, a lot of uh, editors as well, which hence the interviews that I did on the Sunday, and there were a lot of writers. So I sort of varied between them, but um, all in all, I had a really good time. I had a very good experience. Um, The staff were wonderful once again, so was the place in general. So I'll start with a couple of people, and I'll go from there if that's fine. Um, Jay, I'll just, just flicking through my list. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I'll start with an old school guy. I met a guy named Mike DiCarlo. Mike's done a lot of stuff with Batman, specifically late 80s. He's also uh, worked at many stuff at DC. Yeah, he worked on uh, the most famous Batman storyline he ever worked on was Death in the Family, which is the storyline they killed off the second Robin, which was very controversial at the time. He also worked on Legion of Superheroes. That was the one I was trying to think of. Now, Now, this poor guy, he'd done his hip maybe a week or so earlier, Jay, and you could tell this guy was in pain, but he's happy to be there. 
And then when he found out where I, I, how far it took me to come there and the, the fact I did, he looked at me in the eye and went, would you like to come stay a week at my house? And his wife was next to him and gave him an awful look. And I sort of went, no, I think for the safety of both of us, it's best I not do that. But I appreciate the effort. And there was a little nod from both of them and then, then a giggle. And then I had him and he was wonderful after that. <laughs> I had that storyline and three other uh, Batman storylines. And one of which I managed to find at a sale about two years ago that was still in the plastic. It was in a really unique sort of um, thing from the late 80s. So it never been open 30 years. And even he was like, where'd you get this? I said, at a sale. It was just a couple of guys had it on their table, and I grabbed it off there, and I think I paid $30 for it. And he was really impressed with that. And the comics are in excellent condition, so he signed those. And then I just had a brief talk with him, and he was polite and um, respectful and lovely. And then I uh, moved down the row, and I think I went and talked after that to Bob McLeod. And Bob McLeod is another old school. I think Bob's nearly 70. And Bob's most famous for being on the New Mutants, specifically the, the first issues. So when they did the film recently, his name is on the credits for that. They didn't spell his name properly on the credits, so a lot of fans were very angry about that. Now, the two guys he worked on with that series was Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. Now, Bill Sienkiewicz's last name is not the easiest to pronounce either, and I thought, well, if they can pronounce Bill's name, how come they can't do Bob's? And him and his wife were lovely, and they were telling me they'd been watching a lot of Australian television during the lockdowns and the COVID situations in America. So they told me they'd watched Jack Irish. They told me they'd watched a few others. I told them, they said, recommend us anything. And I went, all right, you want old school or new school? And they said, old school. I said, all right, go find Country Practice, the most watched melodramatic Australian TV show from the 80s to the early 90s. They actually wrote that down. They actually even wrote down a few other little Australian films I recommended for him and they were lovely too just bob's a very humble quiet guy he's not loud but you can tell he's listening and he pays attention and he was just another guy and i think i got about 10 comics signed by him and uh, a couple of rare ones too and a hardcover i actually got the hard just bear with me jay i think i have the hardcover right here so it's in my hand, but you can guess what it is. And I managed to get five guys to, or four guys to sign this, which is awesome. So that's there. Now, I stupidly took over a lot of hardcovers, specifically two big omnibuses as well as four sort of hardcovers. The omnibuses were hell. They were uh -oh. too heavy. I'm never doing that again. My back yeah. hates me. Imagine the uh, excess luggage costs for all that. You don't want to know. That's all I need to say on that on subject. But I did get to meet another guy who I always go up and say hello to when I was there. And there's a guy named Pete Tomasi. Pete's very famous for being at DC for the last 20 years. He was an editor before writing. Now he's a full-time writer. And one of my favorite things he's ever done, he did a Superman run from about four years, three or four years ago that um, was the basis for Lo uh, Superman and Lois, the new TV show. Essentially gave Superman and Lois a son and put them back on the farm in Smallville, which I really liked. From that series, we've got a spin-off series called Super Sons, which featured Jonathan um, Kent, who is Superman's son, and Lois, and teaming up with Damian Wayne, which is Batman's son. His mother is uh, Rachel Gould's daughter, Talia Gould. So it runs in the family, so to speak. And... He's another guy, every time he sees me, he remembers me. Didn't even have to open my mouth, and he just went, you're back again. And I bought the omnibus and the hardcover for the for Super Sons, and the, I had a hardcover for Superman. 
he wrote inside each <clears> one and wrote something really funny. So for the Superman one, he wrote, faster than a locomotive from down under. To, you know, to Ben from, you know, did that. And then, you know, boldly go where no man has gone before. I think I sent you for that. Yeah, they look good. Yeah. So the reason I took the other hard big omnibus was the New Warriors. Now, the reason I took that is both the artist and the writer were going to be there at the same time. Now, that's the reason you do that because getting them one time at a time is okay, but they're both there at once. It's just best to just do it straight away. And the two guys were Fabian Caesar. I don't think I ever say Fabian's last name properly. It's too many nouns. And he laughs about that and says, everyone can't say my last name. Don't worry. And the other one, the artist, uh, Mark Bagley. I've met Mark a couple of times. I think this is the second time, and he's a character. So Fabian wrote in the new Mutants Onubus, worth its weight and fun, how heavy it was. Mark drew his name and then had a webbing with a knife hanging off it with Spider-Man at the bottom saying, now that's a knife. And I just, just I was too in the moment, just enjoying the fact they were singling me out as an Australian, but making fun of it without, you know, so kicking, kicking me while I'm down. But it was funny and just <clears throat> cool. And I said to them, I'm not getting rid of these. These are mine. They're going to be on my shelves the rest of my life. And one other guy I quickly got to mention to do with Mark, there's an inker that he worked with a lot, specifically in the early 90s to mid-90s, guy named Randy Emblitson. I hope I'm saying Randy's name right too. And Randy was just a character. He looks like a hippie, but he was funny. He had a lot of drawings pre-prints the ones i told you about and he did deals that if you did over 20 you know 200 worth of um books to sign he'd give you a print for every 40 dollars you spent so he, he i got a lot of prints because of him and i thanked him for that there were a lot of guys here who had worked together a lot so i smartly took a lot of stuff they'd worked on i I had to cut it down even more later before I went, and I'm glad I did. But I'm really grateful because I had not only a writer, artist, but I had an editor and inker as well, all at the same time. So that specifically with Web of Spider-Man, I had all of them at once. And I got a heap of those signed by all of the above. Uh, in the case of uh, the early 80s, I managed to get the original editor-in-chief from the late 80s, 70s, early 80s, Jim Shooter. He is in the interview that I did on the last day. You can check it out if you just want to hear it, folks. Yeah. And Jim one. just, Jim was just humble and quiet. He could, could talk to that guy for a day, and it wouldn't be yeah. enough. You could, I, I could be there next the next day with him and could have talked to him for another full day alone on stuff, and it was amazing. To, to all the fans out there as Transformers and G.I. Joe, he's a big reason why they exist. Uh, the, the the toy companies went to Marvel and did a pitch to do G.I. Joe into a comic. He went to every single writer in the building. They all said no. The only person that said yes was Larry Hummer because he had no work. And Larry went, oh, toys, all right, but fine, I'll do it. And he wrote it for 10 years. They've gotten him back several times. Every time it jumps to a different company, he always writes again for more than five years. So that worked. Hasbro went to them again with Transformers. Now, on the on the day, uh, he was also there too. There's another man named Bob Bianski. Bob is a big part of the Transformers lore. He did most of the, the, the personality traits, the background, the history. And I asked him on the day, and I had a series he'd done in the early 90s called Sleepwalker. He signed the first five issues for me. And I asked him, how long did it take you to do this? Was it a weekend? He goes, it was a long weekend. I did it over a long weekend, the whole thing. And that, that's impo that's near impossible, but he did it. And it's still in place now, a lot of the stuff that he put in place. 
He wrote it too, like Jay, there's a comic, not connected to the cartoon, but he did it for something like more than seven, eight years. So it's amazing to me at that time period that so much story and, and lore came out of those those experiences because it's still there now. I mean, and then Jim is a big part of allowing those guys to do it only because they, they had no work. That's the truth. It's like, oh, I need a job. Okay, fine. So there are another couple of characters that are sort of more anonymous with little to the 70s and the early 80s that I wanted to meet. I met Larry a couple of times before, but I had to ask him a question this time because I kept forgetting to ask it. And I asked him straight off the bat, why are the Dreadnoughts in G.I. Joe Australian? And he said, without missing a beat, based on Mad Max. Now, a lot of the Mad Max oh, was being influenced on a lot of Australian characters in comics in the, in the 80s. There you go. Didn't know that. Yeah. And then Larry had also been in the army, said that had, had run in with a couple of Australian soldiers in the late 60s, early 70s, and that's where the ochre come from. Because these characters speak, speak that very thick ochre, and I don't hear that as much anymore. And I said to him, you got that right. There's things in there that I know is right. So he said, yeah, it was a couple of soldiers I met when I was in the army. And I went, so, well, you got it right. That's all that matters. So who were these? What was that character? I, I'm not familiar yeah. with it. Oh, the Dreadnoughts. The Dreadnoughts in G.I. Joe. Yeah, they work for Cobra. They're mercenaries. Okay, I'm going to look it up. You go ahead. The only thing with him, he did the backgrounds for all them and the toys. So if you used to read on the back of the toys, it had a brief outline about the character. That was Larry. He wrote all those. The only thing with the Dreadnoughts is the places they come from are very obvious. It's not like some obscure town in the middle of nowhere that we know. It's the well-known places. So that was the only thing about that. And I, I said to him, I said, if you ever create more of them, come up with some obscure ones, please. So most of them did not recognize me when I walked up, but when I opened my mouth, they instantly remembered me. <laughs> as soon as I spoke, they heard the accent, they knew who I was. Aussie Ben. And, yeah. Or Uber Ben, as you were known from a few years ago. Yes, yes, that one stuck for a while as well. So Mark Bagley said that to me, the guy that did that sign of knife. He goes, I don't remember what you look like, but as soon as you spoke, I remembered you. <laughs> And he's just been announced to be doing a new Spider-Man series with Dan Slott shortly, and I told him I'd be buying that series as soon as it comes out. Because I love that guy's writing, and I love Mark's art, so I'll definitely be writing that. Now, on the Sunday, I sort of... I, Saturday, I was on my off my feet all day, but I didn't get to meet my favourite artist. His line was so crazy, I thought, I'm doing that in the last day. And the minute I got into the con... Sunday morning, and I had a VIP pass so I could get in a half an hour earlier than anyone else. I went straight to his lineup and lined up, and that was for John Ramitas Jr. John is my favourite artist of all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember talking about him. Yep, and sitting next to John was his one of his inkers. Now, two of his inkers were there, but what the one sitting next to him was Scott Hanna. Scott was a love, lovely down-to-earth kind of guy too. But Klaus Jansen was another guy that was there on the day, and I went up and talked to Klaus, I think, on the Saturday, and he was another guy, very down-to-earth. I mentioned how we met and what I got him to sign last time uh, about five years ago, and he was cool. Can you and, tell the listeners, what, for those that don't know, what an inker is? So when an artist draws, the inker comes around afterwards and um, traces over top of it, usually with pen or a texter. Then they pass that off to the colorist, and the colorist fills it in. Now, oh. a lot of times, inkers and colorists are the same, okay. and sometimes artists can ink their own stuff as well. There you go. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, now John's worked with about th <clears throat> three that are very famous. Sadly, one of them is no longer with us. 
but both Scott and, and Klaus are the two that he's most famous for working for, especially in the last with sorry in the last twenty years. I know he did a bit of stuff with Klaus in, in the in the in the eighties as well, and Klaus has done a lot of stuff with Frank Miller. That's the other thing I can mention Klaus with the most. But um, there are a lot of those guys around, a lot of inkers. Uh, Randy, who I mentioned earlier, was one of them. Uh, Keith <coughs> Williams is another guy. He was there a lot. He'd done a lot as well. Um, Sam DeRoe, I can't say Sam's last name, but he did a bit of stuff with the Venom miniseries and Amazing in the early eight, 90s as well. <coughs> there was a few of them there. I mean, inkers, I mean, I, I think get a bit more respect now than they did you know, 20, 30 years ago. And a lot of artists start off as inkers and then move up the chain and become artists. That's how a lot of them learn. Uh, so one guy specifically I've got to mention, I've mentioned him before, Jerry Ordway, uh, he, the Shazam book, Jay, that I, I told you about. And he did a lot of stuff on Superman in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Jerry started off as an inker and then worked his way up. And he said, you learn, you learn how to be better by working with the greats. And he worked with a lot of the greats. And this, these days, I mean, Jerry's done everything from writing to, to art to inking to editing the whole thing. He's done it all. So a lot of them, that's how they start within the as an inker and then work their way up the, the ladder cool that's so, interesting oh yeah so how many people would be involved in sort of working on a um a comic typical comic you've got your writer inker artist colorer editor Usually there's one or two editors you got the editor's assistant or under editor and then the main editor and then you got the editor in chief now, speaking Actually, you, yeah, I was going to say, speaking of editor-in-chief, I think you spoke with one of them. I spoke with the current guy. Mm. Now, I can't say his name properly. <clears throat> He's like, it's it's C.B. Sikowski. It's, I think it's in the list I gave you. I'm terrible with names, folks, just for the record. I just call him C.B. Jim, Jim Salakrap, was it? No, Jim was the late 70s, early 80s guy. C.B.'s the current guy. Right. He's right. been running Marvel since, I think, 2018 as editor-in-chief. Right. Editor-in-chief, for anyone wondering, essentially is the boss. You're in charge of what's going through Marvel, what's happening with it. You have a big say in the storylines. You have a big say in who you hire, for whether as an artist or an ed- as a writer. They're yes, pretty much CB. And- CB Sabulski. Sabulski, thank you. <clears throat> Jay, just imagine an older version of me. That's oh. what he was like. Right. Okay. Older version of you. Yeah, just imagine a Gosh. geek. Just imagine a big geek. So I went, went and talked to Larry, as I mentioned earlier, about uh, G.I. Joe. CB comes up next to me and says, you mind if I do something? I said, go ahead. CB had two comics from G.I. Joe, the early issues, issue 18 and issue 19. Sorry, issue, yeah. And he told me, issue 18, I've, I've got six issues. Got this issue. I looked at him and went, why would you have six issues of the same comic signed by him? He pulls out issue uh, 19, flicks to the back the letter column. He points at it and he says, that's the first time I've ever got something of mine published in the comic, in the fan base stuff. And he said issue 18 is one of his all-time favourite issues. For his 50th birthday, this is what he told me, for his 50th birthday last year, they bought him the original art from that comic from Larry and it's framed in in his um, study at the moment. And I thought, now that's a fan. That's that's a real fan. Can't get can't get and a bigger fan than that. After that, and he had done writing before he became an editor. There's two series I sort of know him the most for. He did about three or four, 
and he'd done Extremis, which was a sequel to Inferno storyline in the late 80s, and it sort of continued on with some of the newer characters from the early 2008-2009 period. And I told him I loved a lot of those characters, and I loved the way he, he, he used them. And then there's another character from the, the sci-fi side of Marvel called Darkhawk. I never liked this guy's origins. It's just never never worked for me. A kid essentially finds a, like a <clears throat> like a like a jewel inside of a, a carnival ride, and it transforms him into an alien sort of armor, kind of like looks like a, like a hawk. And I just like no, nah, I never bought that. I've never bought that. So CB they did a did a heap of mini series in between two thousand eight to 2010 and that's where the Guardian, modern Guardians of the Galaxy comes from and he did a two-parter which redid this character's origins and I love the origin he came up with at this time this, 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 these things are connected to this group called the Fraternity of Raptors and they're sort of like an Illuminati that manipulate the universe and I like that way more than I like the earlier version I thought I said that to him I said I like this better it's, it's more intriguing and interesting and he thanked me, and we just geeked out for about, I think, 10, 15 minutes talking about comics. And I mentioned, I asked him, was he in charge of graphic novels? And he said, I don't really have a say in that. But I said to him, there's one run of person's run. And I said, you need to put that in a graphic. And because one of their characters is going to be in a movie shortly, it needs to happen. And he looks at me and says, what's that? I said, Denny O'Neill's Amazing Spider-Man run. It's the only one that's not really in trade form. And he went, that's a good valid point. And I said he co-created Madam Web, and I actually got John Jr. to sign that issue because it was John's first issue on Amazing Spider-Man ever. And I got Denny to sign it uh, about five years ago just before he died, which I'm really grateful I got to sign. Denny also named Optimus Prime, by the way, Joe. So this man has connected in, in, in pop culture in a very steep and strong way. Mm, sounds like it. Very famous. Yep. And... Um, uh, he, I think he, I think he died last year, if I remember, or a year and a half ago. How old he, was he? Was he? At Eighty-one. Okay. But when I met him, he was seventy-nine, and you can tell he wasn't well. And they did a really nice thing. One of the guys was telling me they did a nice thing in DC for him. Like, there's a nice memorial salute one, which was really nice that I really liked. They did. They did one with him and Green Arrow, which I liked too. He's in bed and he's shaking Green Arrow's hand, and you see his head with a fort balloon above it. And the balloon starts to fade, and then he just closes his eyes, and and they, every DC character he had a hand in, involved with is around him saying "Sleep well, well, pops." But Green Arrow is his famous thing for being a part of that and Batman. So yeah, I love when they do those when they do them right. I really do. Sadly, one of the more re, uh, <clears throat> his most famous collaborator, Neil Adams, sadly died this year. Neil, I've met three times, two of them at Trificon. And I had bought some stuff, which is in my back cover, that Denny had signed. I was going to get Neil to sign them, and sadly, I was just too little too late. Oh, that's just a shame. Yeah, but I got one other thing Denny signed, and if I get to meet the other artist who's a lot, a lot younger in his 50s, I'll get him to sign it instead. Yeah. It'll save me some trouble. But it, it just what what happens. I mean, another great that passed away recently was George Perez. I got to meet George when I first started collecting, but I, I, you know, I only got two things signed by him, and I regret it to this day. When he died, all this stuff on eBay quadrupled, and I'm like, I'm not paying that for that. But one guy did me a deal if I bought four of them off him. So because of him, I was able to get a couple of Avengers, and I got Shooter to sign them for me, which he was delighted to see. He said, did, did you meet George in person? I go, no, I bought them off a guy that met George. And he said, please tell me you didn't get ripped off. I said, no, I didn't. It was a good price. He said, good. 
So I was really, really grateful. He told me, he was a lovely, he goes, that was one of my favourite people to ever work with, George was. Absolutely down-to-earth, humble guy, and he's his close friend too. And I said, those stories I love hearing. I really do. That's the trouble, I think, with a lot of these guys are starting to get on in age, aren't they? Well, as I said to you, a couple of the guys alone were at 70 when I met them this year. Yeah. So speaking of age, i got to get to, one sec. I met Jerry Conway again. This is the second time I met Jerry. Jerry was the youngest guy to ever work on Amazing Spider-Man as a writer. He was 19 to 20 when he worked on it in the early 70s. Jerry then came back to Marvel in the late 80s and did simultaneously two of Spider-Man books at once. He did Spectacular Spider-Man with Sal Buscema and Weber Spider-Man with Alex. I never say Alex's last name right, so if you look it up and tell me, I'd appreciate it. Alex Savuk. I, I hope I'm saying this right. It's S-A-U-V-I-R-K, I think. He co-created with Jerry Tombstone, if that helps, Joe. Okay. Yeah, I'll um, I'll have a look. I'm not sure. Yeah, Alex Savuk. Yeah, I think you're right there. Alex Savuk. Oh, I said it right. Great. Cool. I wasn't sure. He was lovely. He was a humble little guy and sitting in a corner. I went up and had a long talk with him. And I told him I was missing issues. And he said, go look. You'll probably find them here. I managed to find two of them, Jay. I couldn't find the third. The third was the Harvest. But he signed everything I gave him. I got him to sign a couple of posters as well. And he just another really good storyteller. I like his... I told him this. I, during the lockdown, I seem to always keep reading stuff from that era. And he was really pleased about that. Just a humble guy as well. Uh, writers after Jerry on Web were Howard Mackey and Terry Canal. Can- oh, I can't say Terry's last name ever. I need some surname pronouncing lessons. I know, and you tell me this oft all the time. Well, just down from where Alex was, <laughs> these two guys, and these two guys were a big part of Marvel in the 90s. Both had been editors and then became writers. Howard Mackey is a big big thing about Ghost Rider. Howard's the one that reintroduced Ghost Rider, which is still my favourite run of Ghost Rider ever. And he told me an interesting thing. He said, the best books to work on is the ones where no one, no one has any expect, high expectations for. Because when a book becomes popular, everyone wants a piece of the action and everyone wants to put their fingers in the pie. He said, Ghost Rider was bad. He said, the first two, two years of it, he could do what he wanted. Because everyone told him this is going to flop within two, three issues. Well, it went for more than five years. I mean, that's telling you something. And then when it becomes so popular, right, we're going to spin it off, we're going to do another book, we're going to do all these other things. But I still didn't mind some of that, but that earlier time, two years, was great. Then Howard worked on a lot of stuff with Spider-Man as well as X-Men. Terry, come on. Oh, I can't say it. <laughs> okay. I can't say it. Just say first names. It'll make things a bit easier. Just get... Terry K. Terry <laughs> yeah. K. He was an editor as well as... Um, Howard was, and he and Howard pretty much become the architects, which is now referred to both infamously and still liked by a lot of people as the clone saga of the 90s. So Jerry Conway in the the 70s killed off Gwen Stacy, which was uh, Spider-Man's first love and girlfriend. That was very controversial at the time because that had never happened in comics ever. And to quote Jerry... Gwen became a better character after she died, not before it. But Stan got so much guff from um, fans at the time, and Stan had become publisher. 
But Stan said, well, we've got to bring her back. And he said, it's doomed to fail if I bring her back, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, no, do it. Just do it. So Jerry said it. He goes, wait, it's doomed to fail. What if we do a story about that? So he brought her back, but not exactly like Stan wanted. And that became what is now referred to as the original clone saga. And the storyline for that involves a villain that brings her back, then clones Peter. Peter wakes up in a um, in a sports or, oh you know stadium, and he sees another Spider-Man, and they're both accusing each other of being the frauds. They both take their masks off, and it was revealed that they're both the same person. Mm, okay. So the storyline ends with the villain of the, of the piece, the Jackal, and the clone being killed in, in the battle, <clears throat> the haystack or a smokestack or something. Only to reveal 20-something years later that that just alive and still out there, living a different life. And they brought him back into the 90s, and that became a big thing in the 90s. What I didn't know, and the guys told me, was Marvel at the time was in the black. They were in a lot of financial problems. So the boys had only planned for this storyline to go for three months. Powers that be said to them, keep it going. It's making money. Keep it going. But, I, but we only planned it for a short amount of time. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Well, it went for two bloody years by the time they finished it, and it blown so out of, out of proportion. It's not their fault. But they were told to do it. And then after two years, it, it, it got so out of control, it's like, all right, we've got to fix this. So before Howard left, he, he was told, you've got to fix this. This is the idea. Who do you want to reveal behind it? So someone made the suggestion to bring Norman Osborn back to life. And Norman Osborn had been killed after the storyline after Gwen Stacy's death, and that's very famous too. It's very similar to in the first movie, Jay, where he jumps up out of the way and the, the glider hits him in, in the chest. It's going back a while. I, I think I've seen that movie for 20-odd years. Yeah. And that's what they did in the movie because that's how <clears> it's done in the comics. The funny thing was Howard told me he didn't want to do Norman, he didn't want to write it, but as he came to write it, he liked it. He actually enjoyed writing this character. But he's very different than he was in the, in the 70s, and I said that to him too. But I love, there's a great moment when we find out that he's behind everything to do with this clone saga. And there's a great moment he wants the best Peter and put him beneath his boot and this and that, and then Peter refuses to die. And he says, why won't you die? He says, because I do it to spite you. And he says, this isn't about... Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, this is not more Peter Parker. So like a twisted father-son relationship. And I said to him, that's a great moment. I actually like that moment. That's a really good one. And he said, I get quoted it all the time now. More than 25 years ago, I did this, and I'm still getting quoted it now. He's in his 60s, this man, and he was telling me some great stuff about that. So those guys were great. And they were like a double-up pair, him, him and Terry. They were like, one to do one joke and one to do the payoff. And they were just spinning off each other so much. And you could tell these guys had known each other for years. Then with Dan Jurgens and Jerry Conway, they went and did a, a panel for Spider-Man. I actually got to sit in on that. And that was wonderful to hear them. And they all went through characters they liked writing. Jerry, Jerry said out loud he loved writing J. Jonah Jameson. It was just so much fun. Um, they also, someone asked him, what are your favourite guest star characters to write? I think Howard said he loved writing Daredevil he never got to write Daredevil before but he really enjoyed doing Daredevil and a couple of other guys said a similar thing now one other guy I've got to quickly mention is Dan Jurgens, and Dan's really uh, connected to Superman especially in the 90s Dan came over and did a six month run on one of the other Spider-Man titles but he didn't like doing the Clone Saga stuff so he didn't stay long and in the end he went to do a run I think of Captain America which is really well done 
Then he went back to DC shortly after that. But he had worked, and he did, oh, sorry, he did Thor with John Romita Jr. and Klaus. I had the first six issues of that. I got all three gentlemen to sign it, so I was really over the moon about that. So that was really cool. So, no, there's uh, most of them, you know, most of them are very humble, down to earth, very switched on. Um, not pretentious in any way, shape, or form. <clears throat> a lot of them always ask, where are you from? How long did it take you to get here? Are you serious? It took you that long and you still came? Yes, I did. Thank you very much. Most would say you're mad, but anyway. Oh, yeah, I got that all the time. How, any other Aussies there? No. No, you're the only one. I'm the only one. Wow. Dedication. I also dropped off, and you wouldn't blame me for doing this, a lot of Tim Tams. <laughs> yep. Americans I, love our Tim Tams. Yeah, well, the ones over there, and the guys have told me this, they're like a knockoff version. It's not the oh, ones really? like ours. They don't have the, the genuine product, the real deal. No. no. And I even heard one of them tell me that Israel has a version. Okay. Which I didn't know. No, I didn't even know that. And Actually, they said I the same thing. I think I saw... Someone, was it our PM or somebody give uh, Boris Johnson a uh, packet of Tim Tams in their recent visit to the UK? I, I had a bit of a chuckle there. Oh, well, someone asked me, why are you doing this? I said, Australian custom. It is. It is. It's either that or Vegemite. But Vegemite sort of one of those acquired tastes. If you give it to an Aussie, uh, sorry, an, an American, they'll, they'll grab the, the Vegemite and they'll lather it on their toast uh, an inch thick and then you just see the Aussies cringe and they don't say anything and they're like just waiting for the reaction and it's like oh what is this horrible it's like less is more less is more I actually got asked about Vegemite while I was over there yeah. and I said that not a lot just a little, just a little. <laughs> yeah I'm surprised Absolutely. I'm actually surprised you didn't take any Vegemite over I forgot I honestly forgot so who were the recipients of the Tim Tams I gave the uh the lovely owner and runner of Trificon, Mitch Halleck, I gave his wife and his mother Tim Tams. Oh, yeah. I also gave a heap to the, the the main staff that I'm always dealing with that helped me when I first got there. They all told me that they went from so fast because one wasn't enough, as we know. Yeah. And then there was a lovely British artist named Mike McCone. I met Mike a heap of times. And last time I met him, he said, he ever come back, bring me some of them. And I went, all right. Walked up on the first day with the the I actually had the um, the vanilla ones I didn't have the, the traditional. Oh, okay. yeah. Walked up and plonked them straight on his desk and he didn't stop thanking me for the rest of the, the time <laughs> I was there. So when I was allowed to have a sit down and a break, he'd always say, "Come sit next to me and have a chat." And the lady that was sitting with him, she asked me how we met and I told her. I said, "I worked this guy up over Wolf Creek." She said, "What's Wolf Creek?" <laughs> I went, "Ooh, I could have a bit of fun with this." Yeah. He starts laughing. He said, "Show her, Ben." because he'd asked my name earlier. He forgot it, but he asked it again. I showed her the opening of the second movie, and this lady, I said, first up, are you a horror fan? And she said, I am. I said, okay. I just showed her the opening, and that was it. And she said, how many movies are there? I said, there's two movies in a TV show, two seasons. I said, the third movie's about to come out. She goes, I think I'll go watch them. I said, yep, go ahead. But yeah, even she was like, holy crap. Yeah, I gave up with that series. I sort of lost, yeah, lost me at some point. But anyway... Um, cool. Well, it sounds like you had had a blast there. Is there any other I interesting have, things yeah. you want to mention? So, we... John Jr., who was what I really wanted to meet, my favourite mm. artist, I took the most comics for him, I spent the most money on him. Yep. So, actually, do you want to just let people know what he was responsible for? I, I don't actually know either, so I'd be curious to know. John, John has uh, 
John is legacy in the sense that his father is the second man to ever draw Spider-Man. Yeah. Dad also did a, a six-month run on Daredevil, which now is very celebrated, and then went on to amazing, I don't know for how many years, but when he finished, Stan put him in charge of all art at Marvel. Oh. So imagine, imagine, he did that for 20 years. Right. Now imagine you're in your early 20s, Marvel's just hired you and your boss is your father. Mm. So someone had left, I don't know the full story, but someone had left and it left an opening on Iron Man. So they tapped him and said, if you want a job, it's there. Right. And he went to work on Iron Man and now that run is very well celebrated because he co-created Rhodey, who's in the movies. He didn't create War Machine, that came later, but he did co-create Rhodey and a few of the villains that are still there now. So is he mainly a writer or an artist? Or Artist, he's done a bit of writing, but he okay. does. A, he, he's the most in consecutive years to work on Spider-Man. Something like 25 plus. His first run was on Amazing in the early 80s with Roger Stern. Uh, sorry, Denny O'Neill. That that went straight on to Roger Stern. Roger Stern's one of my favourite writers ever of that period. They co-created the Hobgoblin. He's still one of my favourite villains of that period. In that period of time, he worked on X-Men. He worked on Daredevil. Uh, an average artist could probably do one to two books a month, okay? And that's difficult even then. And John was doing that, especially back then. And then in the in the, in the in the early nineties, Spider Man spawned off into some multiple books. Jay, we're talking like five to six amazing Spider Man books a month. John was drawing one of them, I know, for almost eight years straight. I think it was Peter Parker Spider Man. I think that was the one. And then he came back and forth on onto the main amazing book, and then would go off and go do something else for a while. Did a bit of Avengers, did a bit of Hulk. Like I said, did Thor with Jan Jurgens and Klaus in the late late 90s <clears throat> so gets back on amazing in the early 2000s with john uh, j michael straczynski that became a very celebrated run he actually did a little bit earlier with with howard on amazing that turned in a very popular era because that's when the first movie started coming out and then he he would come back and forth john did a lot of books but um in 2000, I think it was 2010, he put his hand up and said, it's time to move on. He'd been at Marvel his whole career at that point, and he went to DC for nine years. And was pretty much left alone over there. Now, when I met him back in 2000, I think 17, he told me the only person that could bring him back to, spy, uh, to Marvel was Dan Slott. And I, I've told you about Dan. My little brother describes Dan as just me 10 years older. Well, Dan at the time was on Fantastic Four and they were about to do a special issue, anniversary issue and they got John back to do that with Kang. And Kang's the next big villain that's going to terrorise the Marvel Universe in films. So Kang's someone I'm getting asked a lot of questions about right now. So he came back for that issue and then they went to him straight away and said, how would you feel about coming back to Amazing? He has not been on Spider-Man in 12 years. At this point in time, there are six issues. He done six. Now, Amazing so popular, they don't do one comic a month. Since the late 80s, they've done two a month. And that is a lot of work to do in a month. And ever since Tom McFarlane and David Michelinie's run since the late 80s, when Venom first came on the scene, it's been two a month. So right now, Amazing Spider-Man is about to hit 900 issues. That's how much work they've done on that that book and so many issues. And it's it's only been around since the early 60s. So I had the first six issues of that, and I had a free comic book day issue. So when I met John, 
the guy took me money and he was adding it up and he said to me, and he told John this too, he said, this guy's spent the most money on you. So he, he was $20 an issue, Jay. I yeah. bought over 30, 30 things off him. So oh, the math. man. What, over time or just at the one con? Uh, no, no, I had it over time. Oh, okay. On the day, I spent that much. And that's American dollars, not Australian. Man. He, he just smiled. So I met him five years ago. And when I met him, I originally wanted to meet Frank Miller. And Frank Miller and him had done what I vote to this day as my favorite comic. I've told you this before. Man Without Fear, which was done at the time, 30th anniversary for the creation of Daredevil. And I just think it's their storytelling at their best. I think both of those guys, it was a peak point for them. And I told the story. And as soon as he heard the story, he goes, I remember you. Oh, yes, I remember you. You were awesome. And I've been wanting to thank this man in person since since that moment because I couldn't thank him afterwards. He went and got him signed for me for nothing. And those issues are behind me put away, Jay. I won't get those out there put away. And he was great. I mean, we just started geeking out. We started talking. I told him, I said, you haven't missed a beat in 12 years. Your storytelling still as great as it's ever been. I, I can't wait to read the next two issues. And he's just smiling the whole time. And this is a guy in his 60s that looks after himself. And you swear he's only in his early 50s. I mean, that's how good he looks after himself. And it just had, it's a long line, so you can't talk too long. When that happens, you really can't. But I got my points in there. I thanked him. I asked him, please, please, please come to Australia. He said, it's in the cards. As soon as they offer me a good deal, I'll be down there. I said, when you're here, I'll be in the front row. I said, I swear to God, I'll be in the front row. And he's never, I've never been disappointed with this man, Jay, for me personally, in person and on the page. This guy always delivers. So definitely another high point for me. Cool. Well, it certainly sounds like you've had a fair, uh, a fair exposure to heaps of different um, artists and different people, which is really cool. Yeah. What's uh, what's on the cards next? Back next year? I'll be back next year. I t- uh, Mitch Halleck, who runs the con, literally looked at me in the eye and said, "You'll be back next year, won't you?" I said, "Of course, I will be." Irregular. Yeah, um, because of COVID was the big thing. It was that, uh, and also <clears throat> withdrawal symptoms of not being able to do it for so long. Yeah, yeah. So, so I can't complain, Jay. I really can't. I had a ball. I feel great. That's the best one yet. Yeah, hands down. That's the best one yet. And and I guess you see different types of um, people than you would at the Australian cons. Like you're not going to get these sort of um, celebs there, of, are you? Look, at, a lot of them are New York based. So yeah. this is not even, I think, a three, four-hour drive from New York. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them, including the, the current editor-in-chief, CB, he's actually got family in Connecticut. So for him, it's going up there for a con to see family as well. And I thought, that's a that's a lovely thing. Yeah. Three of them did cancel on the day before it. That's They were sick. So normally, it's four or five that cancel. So that wasn't too bad. Um, I'm just trickily trying to think of some other people. No, no, no. The three people that I interviewed, uh, Al, Al Milgram, uh, Jim Salacroft, and Jim Shooter, same thing. I'd met Jim, uh, Al before. He was wonderful, and he remembered me as soon as I started talking. <laughs> um, Jim, I'd never, Both Jims I'd never met before, but they were entertainment value, Salacroft especially. Um, he worked on Avengers. He worked on Spider-Man. He worked on a lot of books. Spider-Man's his most famous era, late 80s, early 90s. Venom, like I said, he was a big part of Venom. He left just before Carnage come along. That was the big thing with him too. He left just as Carnage was coming on the scene. So I always thought, well, it's a shame he didn't stay for Carnage, but anyway. 
he did it for five years. I think he sort of burned out a bit. See, that's the other thing I said to the editors, Jay. I see the stress now that these guys go through to get these books out on time and stuff. And yeah. I, I the pressures. Now. Yep. Yeah. Has and the like comic said, market sort of um, deteriorated a little bit over the years, do you think, like in terms of the audience? There's always going to be a market for it. But because of the films now, the films take more are more precedent over than the comics. Yeah, yeah. But as one of the guys said to me, and I loved him saying this, every comic is someone's first comic. And that was something Stan sta- sta- stated when he was running Marvel in the, in the, the 60s and the 70s. Mm. When did you get into so, comics? I read a few during the 90s. Yeah. Specifically the X-Men books the most, but also some of the Spider-Man books. Because they... When we grew up in Griffith, do you remember the um, the it was near near where your stealth shop used to be, just down from there? Um, yeah, I can't think of the name of the store, but you know the one I mean. Hmm. News agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they'd get in the stuff that would sell. They wouldn't get in any, anything else. So the stuff that sold at that time <clears throat> were all the X Men books and all the Spider Man books for Marvel, and with DC, it was all the Superman and Batman books. Yeah which is late, early 90s to late 90s. So my introduction to them was usually those books. Mm. By the end of the 90s, especially around 2000s, when I really exploded into reading more and more comics. I hit a bit. Uh, I hit a big animation phase with a lot of those characters, and I mean, there was a lot of really good cartoons during the 90s, you know this. Yep. Specifically Batman. That yep. was the, still is the best. But the X-Men cartoon of that time period and the Spider-Man one as well were two awesome ones as well, which I still love now. And it just came from that. It just evolved. And I just happened to be doing it right as the, as the films came along. And I just thought, you know what, I should read more of the books, you know, because the books at this point have been around for more than, you know, some of them 40 years. And that was 2000, Jay. Yeah, right. There you go. And I remember you in 2006, comic book industry era to end, Ben. And yeah. I said to you, it's just getting started. Yes, I'm never, I'm never been a big fan of the comics, but I won't hold that against you. <laughs> and the listeners don't hold that against me; each to their own. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, that was a uh, a great recap of your trip, Ben. So, um, yeah, thanks for for letting us know what you got up to, and I don't. Know, we've got a few other episodes in the works. Um, We've got um, got a few just yeah ticking along, so keep listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. We're available on all the big platforms: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. So subscribe, subscribe, and you'll get a uh, a little alert every time we post a new episode. And we're trying to get one out to you every week. Um, and the, folks, this is the reason why this man's more, more valuable to this show than I am. The tech expertise. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the last week was a little bit different. We had, I think, four episodes in the last week. Lots of special editions there, so be sure to check all them out. Um, All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and uh, we hope to catch you again soon. I hope I didn't bore you you all too much. I hope you enjoyed it. And like with Jay, I hope you stick around and love to hear what we have to say next, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. Retro Guardians.